Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and as always, I'm happy to have you joining us. So I know that if you're tuning into this live, right now it's February 27th, 2020, and if you've been paying any attention at all to the news, you're probably getting inundated with the coronavirus and its alleged impact on the stock market. So it's something certainly we should all be concerned about, I think even more from obviously the impact it has on health, more so than just the economy at this point. But for us that are kind of living and breathing the financial world, we're all just looking at in the past few days here how the stock market has corrected about 10%. Um, So it seems, you know, quick glance that it's spiraling out of control. Uh, It's inciting quite a bit of fear, a lot of worry from other people out there. But what I always encourage people to do is keep things in context. It's only been a few days now. We're coming off the heels of, you know, an 11 year tear in the stock market. So there's a lot of different reasons that the markets will go up and down over time. But just bear in mind, it's only been a few days here and we've yet to see what the future will hold for us. So at times like these, I think it's worthwhile to take a step back and look at macroeconomic decision making and things that have a very far reaching and a more certain impact on all of our financial planning strategies. So I think it's an opportune time for us all to discuss something that was signed into law last year that we know will have an impact on all of us, and not just for a few days or weeks or perhaps this year, but for certainly decades into the future. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm referring to the SECURE Act. So on December 20th, 2019, President Trump signed into law the SECURE Act. What that stands for is Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, okay? And if you're watching, bear with me because I do have quite a bit of notes I'll be uh, checking in on today. We did a good bit of research leading up to today's episode. So again, the SECURE Act has a nice cute little name to it. Sounds fantastic. Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. What could possibly be wrong with that? Well, as we know, whenever politicians get together and they come up with some brilliant idea, there will inevitably be pros and cons to everybody out there uh, getting through on a daily basis. So let's take a look at the pros and cons of this. Some of the costs that are involved will kind of dive under the hood. And just like anything that Congress gets involved with, this is pretty convoluted. But I'm going to make my best effort to summarize everything for you today, give you some concise points on the topic, and really make it practical so that you understand the impact that it will have on your retirement, the way you prepare for retirement, or the way that you are actually living in retirement in the future. So what is it going to do? Again, it sounds great. Um, Everything comes with a price tag, right? So the government is touting that there's a price tag here or a cost of about $14.6 billion. That was a projection by the Joint Committee on Taxation that again, it will be $14.6 billion over the next 10 years. Now, does it cost anything to the government? Well, kind of, but as we know, any cost to the government is more of a cost to taxpayers, all right? We unfortunately don't just get to make up money out of thin air. So that $14.6 billion cost obviously has to bring us some benefits. 
So let's look at what those benefits are because they're not just going to literally be giving us money and materials and fun things to go play with, but there are some incentives that are built into this act. The first one and perhaps the most notable is going to be the deferment of what are called required minimum distributions or RMDs from age 70 and a half to age 72. So what does that mean? If you haven't listened to some of our prior episodes, any traditional individual retirement accounts, when that owner of that account reaches the age of 70 and a half, they now have to take out money each year for the remainder of their life. All right, then it would obviously be taxed as ordinary income. That has now been deferred to age 72. So some of you out there might be listening to this and still kind of getting baffled by that idea of, wait a minute, I can't touch my money at certain times and then I have to take my money out at certain times. It all does sound a little bit ridiculous, but as I often say, whenever you're seeing these, these codes, IRAs, 403Bs, 401Ks, TSPs, 457s, all these different things are references to sections within our tax code. So when you see that, always recognize that it's not just you get to do whatever you want with that money now, you do have a bit of an investment partner in Uncle Sam. And Uncle Sam or the government is going to dictate lots of times how that money can actually be used. Uh, if not used correctly, obviously we can see penalties or adverse consequences. So one again that we're all pretty familiar with is we used to have to start drawing down that IRA at 70 and a half. Now because of the SECURE Act, we can say, you know what, I don't wanna take that money yet. I don't wanna you know, get hit with taxes on my own money that I'm withdrawing. So I'm gonna defer that. I'm not gonna take out any money until age 72. And at that point, we will be required to take minimum distributions. So that is something that is a cost, all right, I'm doing air quotes, a cost to the government and a benefit to the people. Again, according to the Joint Committee on Taxation, that cost and benefit is worth about $8.9 billion, all right? That will be essentially, as you can see, it's not really a cost to the government, it's just missed out money uh, that they would have gotten a year and a half earlier from all those IRA holders, okay? So that's number one, we get to defer a little longer should we choose to. Number two is there's going to be a lot of changes to how small employers are able to set up retirement plans. This is a good thing, I think by and large, it's simplifying the way in which small businesses can set up these plans. Uh, it's gonna be much easier to set up a 401k, uh, what are called safe harbor rules and the ways employers have to match or put money away for their employees and do a lot of different reporting that is mandatory. Uh, a lot of those rules are going to be simplified Okay, and they're also going to auto or raise the cap on what an employer can auto enroll their employees into the 401k plan. All right, the cap used to be 10% of wages, which meant that if I signed up with a company, they could automatically throw me in the 401k plan and say, okay, 10% of your income is going into that retirement account. Now they can actually raise that up to 15%. So obviously a clear incentive to kind of force people uh, in a way to start saving or at least thinking about saving for retirement. There's also going to be a lot of what you'll see are called multiple employer plan structures uh, in which you know multiple companies within an industry can come together to build out a 401k plan, uh, often giving economies of scale and things of that nature. 
So long story short, again, we're just kind of simplifying things for the small company that wants to set up a retirement plan that will come at a cost to the government. Uh, they estimate that those costs will be about $3.4 billion. Some of the things that are actually monetary that we can feel is small employer pension startup costs um, used to be able to receive a credit uh, that was going to be the lesser of $500 or 50% of those startup costs to build the 401k plan. That's now been increased to a credit that can reach up to $5,000 for that small business owner. Okay, so that's a nice credit that they might want to look into. And just so I keep throwing around that word small company, small business, small is termed uh, as something that or a company that has less than 100 employees. Okay, so that's what small would be. Another thing in addition to that credit is there's an additional tax credit uh, up to 500 hours per year to employers who create a 401k or a simple IRA with that automatic enrollment that I had just alluded to. So another little incentive, again, to have the boss help his employees uh, begin preparing for retirement. So again, all of those things, the tax credits, the easing up on some of these regulations, uh, Joint, Joint Committee on Taxation estimates that will cost the government about $3.4 billion. Some other things that are going to you know, kind of fold into this plan in regards to the 401k and the qualified plan space uh, this is good news for any of the part-timers out there. Businesses will now be able to set up part-time employees who either work 1,000 hours throughout the course of the year or within the past three consecutive years have worked on average 500 hours of service. Those part-timers will now be eligible to participate in a 401k plan. All right, so that's certainly good news for those people who felt like they were missing out on the boat. Uh, a couple other things that are, again, relevant to the 401k space. Plan sponsors are now being encouraged to include annuities inside of their workplace plans. Uh, so you'll see different uh, investment options in there via annuities um, for people to save their money into. And some of these will be able to provide guaranteed income uh, later in life in retirement. So again, all these things I'm referencing are what are called defined contribution plans. We know what's going in, but we're not really sure what's coming out because that's all dictated by the markets and our underlying investments. Those annuities that now be a part of your 401k plan can now fill some of that void that we feel we missed out on in the old defined benefit plans. So it's a nice little option that now folks will be able to uh, pick from. A couple other things um, that are going to be changing there used to be a limit as or an age limit on how long you could contribute to an IRA. They said at age 70 and a half, you could no longer contribute and you had to take that money out, those RMDs. Now the RMDs, like I said, are deferred to age 72 and there is no longer any age limit as far as when you can contribute to an IRA. So again, that's another perceived cost to the government is that you can continue contributing to your IRA and taking a tax deduction on the money that goes in. But then at 72, we have to start pulling money back out and it gets taxed as ordinary income. And we just kind of run around in that whole circle with tax deductions, deferments, and then taxable distributions. So what fun it is to play with these IRAs and things. And then lastly, a uh, couple other changes that had smaller impacts or projected impacts on this $14.6 billion package. 
is going to be on 529 accounts, okay, Section 529 plans, often referred to as college savings plans. Um, and now you can take out up to $10,000 a year to be applied towards qualified student loan repayments. So I can already hear a lot of you clapping as I said that, that now you can use 529 funds to actually pay down your student loans. So in the current student loan epidemic, I'm sure that's some awesome news for many of us out there. Uh, another thing too that I really like is the 529 funds can be used tax-free for other qualified expenses such as apprenticeship programs. All right, so this is really good news here, guys, because what started out as you can only use it for college or else you're going to be subject to penalties and perhaps income taxes. Then the, what Trump did in his first tax uh, law a couple of years ago that he came up with or him in Congress at that time was that the 529 could be used all the way from private school uh, in middle school, high school, all the way through college. So it kind of broadened that definition of qualified education expense. And now we find out not only that, but now we can use it towards student loans and we can use it towards apprenticeship programs. So I think that's nice because it's starting to give some of that flexibility that I think responsible folks deserve for investing and planning for the future rather than being so pigeonholed. Lastly, and this is something that the Joint Committee of Tax on Taxation estimates <clears throat> will cost the government about $1.2 billion, is you are now allowed to take penalty-free withdrawals of up to $5,000 from your 401k, okay, so premature withdrawals without penalty uh, to defray the costs of either having or adopting a child. All right, that right there they anticipate will be about $1.2 billion of missed tax revenue. So, it sounds pretty good. Like we're getting a lot of benefits here and Uncle Sam is footing the bill in a lot of ways. The biggest ones there, uh, just to kind of recap, because I know that this was a lot of info I just poured out there. We're deferring the RMD age from 70 and a half to 72, okay? Uh, we are going to make it easier for the small employers out there to set up retirement plans and 401ks and provide some new options in there. We're getting a little bit more liberal as far as how we can use our 529 funds uh, without incurring any penalties. And now there's a nice benefit to use some of our retirement money uh, to help when we have a baby or want to adopt a child. All right. So those are all some certain benefits there I think we can all appreciate. But you're saying, well, you, you said at the top of the show, this whole thing, this whole package will cost $14.6 billion. You just went over some pretty cool benefits that, that just gave us a little more flexibility and some tax credits there possibly for the small business owner. But what's the downside of the SECURE Act or is it all good news? There is one very, very big downside and this could potentially far outweigh that uh, alleged cost that the government is incurring. And what that is, is they are overhauling the RMD rules, those required minimum distributions. And not just with the deferment from age 70 and a half to 72 on your own IRA, but what happens when eventually we pass away and we still have IRA money. So take a quick step back and look at how it always used to be, if you weren't familiar with this yes, yet, is when you passed away with an IRA, Essentially, what could happen is you could either give that to your spouse, okay, he or she would be your uh, beneficiary, 
And then they could essentially create a spousal IRA or create their own IRA that then they would draw on as if it was their own retirement money and would be dictated by their own RMD rules. Okay. The other scenario where if that didn't go to your spouse, maybe it went to your kids or to your grandkids or to your niece or nephew, whoever, is they then set up what was called an inherited IRA. And what that allowed them to do is say, okay, I'm going to stretch these RMDs over my life expectancy. So let's say that grandpa passes away at 85 years old and because of his age was having to take out, you know, large chunks of money out of his IRA, right, which obviously generates taxable income. And then grandpa weaves what was left of that IRA to his granddaughter and she's 32 years old. And she says, okay, I have all this money right now that I don't really need for retirement, but the IRS is telling me I have to take out RMDs because it was an inherited IRA. But fortunately, she's only 32 years old. She has a very long life expectancy ahead of her. So she will stretch that IRA all the way over her life expectancy, kind of nibbling away as she need be at those IRA funds so as not to jeopardize her tax situation. So what that allowed, that stretch IRA, is what we call tax arbitrage, in which that individual would be able to kind of uh, use that in a way that would not throw their, their tax brackets out of whack or create you know, a gigantic uh, kind of tax torpedo um, that then would cause that person to go into a much higher bracket and lose a lot of that IRA or their income in that year uh, to Uncle Sam. So that stretch IRA, that was a great thing that, that many, many, many people uh, took advantage of. The SECURE Act, what is that doing now? That is going to now kind of change the game entirely uh, in which most people out there, when they receive an IRA, and I'm going to get into the exceptions, they must now spend down that entire IRA within 10 years of that person's, uh, the original owner's demise. Okay. So let me go over the exceptions and then I'm really going to emphasize what that means to you and I. So the exceptions here are going to be that surviving spouse. Okay. So if the owner leaves the IRA to their spouse, that spouse can still go ahead with the spousal IRA or make it their own and, and draw off of it based on their life expectancy. So no change there. If the beneficiary is a child who's under the age of majority, they then are able to draw that money out a little bit further than the 10 years. Uh, the 10 year rule will kick in when that child turns 18 though, mind you. Um, some other people that are exempt, uh, disabled beneficiaries or the chronically ill, okay? They don't have to follow this 10 year rule. And then lastly is gonna be a beneficiary who is not more than 10 years younger than the uh, deceased, okay? So if they left it to maybe a brother or a sister who is just four or five years younger than them, let's say. But by and large, a lot of this, guys, what it's going to impact in droves are leaving IRA money from one generation to the next, which inevitably happens in almost every scenario that people leave IRAs um, because we often don't find that the spouse is living 30 years past the original owner and slowly spending that down. So now what happens is in that original scenario, grandpa leaves a big IRA to her, his granddaughter, and now she doesn't get to just spend that out over the next 55 years. What she has to actually do is liquidate that entire IRA in just 10 short years. 
So as she's making all her own income with her family and whatnot, she's now going to have to add on top of that all the required minimum distributions of grandpa's IRA, which obviously can create a bit of a tax nightmare uh, depending on her situation and the size of that IRA. All right, so that is where things got very inflexible. And that's something that the uh, government projects will be able to offset those costs that I referenced earlier, the benefits to us. But I think when this whole thing unwinds, we're going to see that they're able to recoup way more money than they had to worry about putting out for us when they're crunching all these these uh, IRA monies into these small 10-year time frames, which can artificially jack up people's uh, tax brackets. And that can create, obviously, a, a gigantic source of tax revenue to the IRS. So what are some things that we can do to alleviate that in closing? Because I don't want this to be uh, we went from something good to something bad. Is, is there a solution? There's always a way to handle every new change uh, that life throws us. So some of the things you're probably going to get very familiar with in you know, just watching the news or listening to shows like mine in the next few years. Number one is going to be the Roth conversion. We're just taking advantage of Roth options while we're actually uh, still earning our money. So if, again, please go back and listen to the episode I did. Um, I don't know the number, but it was a couple months ago. It was just called the Roth option. We go through that in great detail. And as you may recall, uh, distributions, if done correctly, can come out tax-free. There are no required minimum distributions from your Roth IRA, okay? So, and even then when there are for beneficiaries, again, they're taking it out tax-free. So you don't have to have all those worries about what that's going to do to your overall tax situation later on. So what people may be doing here and now, if they say, well, I've got my IRA, I am retired, is a Roth conversion, where they say, let me take some of that. Right here and now, I'll pay the income tax on a piece, I'll convert it over into a Roth, and then that money's home free. I don't have to worry about these RMDs, I don't have to worry about me getting hit with taxes later on, or my beneficiaries getting crushed in taxes with this 10-year spend down, they now have much more flexibility uh, in kind of a tax-advantageous plan through the Roth. So get ready for a lot of conversions. You'll be seeing a lot of that. You're going to also hear about qualified charitable contributions. So as we know, all 501c3s out there are tax-exempt organizations, which means that they don't pay taxes. So some of the best money to leave to charity is taxable IRA money, okay, pre-tax money um, that then we can say, all right, it says it's $100,000. If I take it out myself, it might only be 70 because I have to pay taxes. Whereas if I leave it to my favorite charity, it is a true $100,000 to them. So with your required minimum distributions, you might consider putting that money directly towards your favorite charity as opposed to donating other funds that are already post-tax dollars, okay? Um, there's more complex things we won't get into today that would involve the attorneys, such as multi-generational spray trusts, again, to try and help some of that potential uh, tax trap of that 10-year spend down. And lastly, what I'm sure you're going to see a lot of, again, uh, is life insurance being used to offset that increased tax, tax risk um, potentially felt, especially from like an early death. Okay, so what, of course, life insurance can do is that death benefit, as it always has been, if structured correctly, will be income tax-free. Uh, 
So we have this large injection of capital of tax-free money that then can be used to recapture all those lost tax dollars uh, from those IRAs that are now being uh, evaporated in 10 short years and perhaps a lot of that going to Uncle Sam. So that's just another one of the cool uses of uh, life insurance is getting that leverage uh, by buying you know, a large death benefit, often as they say, getting dollars for pennies on a guaranteed basis and without having any income tax owed that can obviously take care of a lot of those potential tax liabilities uh, to kind of make your beneficiaries whole again, should that be a concern. And another thing, even for when we leave that money to a spouse, okay, if we predecease our spouse, if I own life insurance as the deceased, she or he then perhaps receives all that income tax-free money and can be using that to pay the tax cost on his or her own Roth conversions. All right, so that's another, another strategy you see a lot done with permanent life insurance. So again, that can bring in some of that tax arbitrage that we were alluding to earlier. Uh, and then last but not least, if you're saying, well, how do you afford a lot of that life insurance that you're gonna see in a lot of those different strategies? Sometimes what's called an IRA max strategy is when folks actually take their RMDs, okay, that now you'll start at 72, and they apply those RMDs to life insurance premiums. So they take what was a pre-tax asset that's creating a compounding tax liability and perhaps a very big issue for our heirs. And now we're starting to filter that into a tax-free asset that obviously has much greater flexibility um, to our heirs later on. So a lot of different ways that we can kind of uh, pivot and, and handle the uh, current situation. But in closing, one of the things I, I always say, and I can't emphasize this enough, guys, is when you see those tax codes, just think about the other strings that may be attached to that. So when someone always comes to me, as it happens probably every day, and says, hey, Bri, what has a better rate of return? The IRA, uh, that mutual fund account, or a CD at the bank, or whatever it may be. And I, I always tell them, just remember, number one, they're only buckets that are holding these ingredients or these investments, okay? That's like if an alien came here and said, Hey, which tastes better, lunch or dinner? Well, it doesn't matter. It matters what you're having for lunch or what you're having for dinner. Same thing with a, a 529, an IRA, or just a, a standard brokerage account. The investments in there are going to do what they do regardless of the type of account that it sits in. But beyond just staring at rates of return and comparing everything that way, we have to think of the value that is extending beyond just dollars and cents and the value that we have or that we lose when we forfeit some of our control over those dollars, right? which is often what happens inside of these qualified plans or these IRAs. And then even when we think we have that control, as we can see just a couple months ago, Congress and the president then get to go rewrite the rules. And so we thought we planned for one thing and now we're you know, we, we saved and enjoyed deductions on IRAs and 401ks for 40 years, did every responsible thing we could to plan for retirement. And then we want to leave a legacy to our kids or grandkids. And we find out that it's just going to get obliterated by now what they just decided to come up with this 10 year spend down. So we always got to remember these things. And that's why I always encourage these different pockets of money and particularly money that uh, gives the owner more control over those dollars as opposed to relinquishing that to you know the government 
in many instances. Because how do we price that lack of flexibility into a plan? There's no real way to price that into a rate of return, yet so many people just get fixated on those returns. So again, please take a big picture look at all of this stuff, just like we're doing with our portfolios now, as we've experienced these past few days with the coronavirus scare. So again, the big picture and the foresight to plan ahead has uh, always proved worthwhile. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast, and we'll see you next week. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broad Acres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 73244420. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyrighted by Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.